the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 40 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Well, good afternoon, Bay Area. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman broadcasting from the COVID Rebound Studio in San Jose, California, where I am currently residing. Uh, Yes, that's right. Um, I am one of those rebound cases. I had tested negative about five or six days ago, two consecutive tests, uh, 24 hours apart, tested negative, but then I tested positive again. And if anything, I'm in worse shape than I was the first time I tested positive, which will be two weeks ago. Uh, this coming Sunday evening. So I'm still working. I'm just uh, working out of my office in San Jose. I'm actually uh, um, sheltering in place in my office, and I only go home uh, once a day, typically when I know my wife and my children will be out so that I can go in, shave, shower, change clothes, and then leave the house. Uh, I don't want my family getting sick, especially I don't want my daughters getting sick because they just started school. And uh, the last thing in the world they need is to become COVID positive and lose a week or two of school. So for those of you out there, um, I'll let you know I did take the Paxlovid, which is the same antivirals that our president and his wife and Dr. Fauci took. And just like them, I am a rebound case, which means that the COVID came back with the symptoms. My symptoms are actually worse than they were initially. And um, if I turn my head away now and then and cough, you'll know the reason why. Fortunately, it's not a cough that's causing me a splitting headache, which I've had before. Um, I wish it were more productive so I could get junk out of my lungs. But I want to let you all know that I am still working. I'm just conducting meetings now, either on the telephone or by Zoom, with my preference being Zoom as opposed to the telephone, so at least we can see each other, and it's easier to share things that way with a Zoom call. I can share documents on my screen and things like that. But for the foreseeable future, I cannot take any in-office appointments. Um, I can prepare estate plans and then deliver, arrange the hand them delivered to people. I've done that already with one client. I'm about to do it with another client. And I can actually deliver it to you um, already with instructions for signing. 
uh, and in a box and in a binder in a box with instructions. And so you can sign it, get it notarized, get it witnessed. And then I can come back and pick it up, uh, bring it back to my office, scan it and everything, and then uh, box it again, let it wait for a couple of days and then return it back to you. So that's part of my white glove service right now because I can't meet in person with people to notarize their documents or act as a witness for their documents. But uh, they say, uh, never say die. I move forward and I am still actively in practice and I am actively doing work every day. And um, I encourage you, if you've been putting off doing estate planning, as someone who's going through COVID right now, I'm grateful that I have an estate plan in place. Uh, I'm hopeful that it will not get worse than it is now. But if it does, I do have an estate plan in place to protect my wife and my children. And it's time for you to do the same thing. Go to LawBob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com to book a consultation with me. Uh, you'll find that the only options available right now are telephone or Zoom meeting because, as I indicated, I'm not doing any in-person meetings right now. But you could certainly do that. I've done a number of those in the last two weeks, telephonic and Zoom meetings. And uh, it, it works pretty well, actually. And, uh, and I'm clearly available for you to uh, meet with me and get your planning process started here so that you can get an estate plan in place for you and your family. So following my usual format, I'm going to do questions and comments from around the state of California. And I'll start first one with a pretty straightforward one from Oceanside, California. What happens if one partner of unmarried co-owners, both with previous children, dies. Okay, so this sounds like these people, um, they own a house together, they are unmarried, and they each have children from prior relationships. How do we make sure when one of us dies that the kids are protected and split the house after the other dies? This is estate planning, estate planning 101, really. If you're unmarried, you each should have your own trust that owns your respective half of the property and any other property that you own so that it can indicate what's supposed to happen with that property when you pass away. Uh, You might, for example, have it indicate that your partner can occupy the property for his or her lifetime. And then on death, your share of the property goes to your child or children. And then with their plan, on their death, their share of property goes to their child or children. But this is all estate planning. That's how you deal with an issue like this about how do we make sure our kids get our property. Planning. Estate planning. Uh, Don't just kind of leave it to chance, especially in a situation like that where uh, where you have an unmarried couple, each of whom have children, and collectively they own real estate, they own a residence. Um, that could really be a mess if you don't do planning. So if you're in that situation, you can contact my office. I'm able to do planning 
for both parties of an unmarried couple as long as they both agree that it's okay for me to do planning for both of them and as long as they understand that I cannot keep confidential from the other if I'm doing planning for both of you I have to share information that both of you share with me uh, with the other especially if it's uh, relevant to the planning process if you don't want to do it that way then one of you can come and hire me and one of you should go to another estate planning attorney and hire them to do the planning Um, and that's pretty much it as far as that goes Oh, boy. Coughing is wonderful, isn't it? Okay, let's see. Um, Which type of trust is recommended for a highly functional person with severe ASD? Our son doesn't qualify for a special needs trust because he's not considered disabled. And... um, and we're not worried about his inheritance affecting public benefits because he doesn't qualify for public benefits. But he still suffers the challenges of sound decision-making, financial management, and displaying common sense. Well, there's a lot of kids in that category, and they can be at any age. If he were your son and your goal was to provide steady financial support for him throughout his lifetime when you passed, how would you structure the trust for him? I would set up a trust to receive the inheritance, an irrevocable trust, where the child is just the beneficiary, and then there is a highly competent trustee in charge of investment decisions and distribution decisions of the assets in that trust. It doesn't have to be a supplemental needs trust, but it can be an asset-protected trust to make sure that the inheritance is used to care for that child for his, in this case, for his lifetime, since it's a son. We're coming up on the first break of the show today. When we come back, there'll be more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman broadcasting from the the uh, COVID studio here in San Jose, the Rebound studio. And I'll talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Well, we're back. Uh, my engineer is doing his best to, uh, to dump when I cough on the air, but he might not be able to catch everything. So uh, if you hear a little bit of cough or a part of a cough, you'll know that I am coughing regularly with this, um, with this COVID infection. Very annoying. Uh, The one advantage, though, is it kind of deepens my voice, which makes it a little more uh, attractive for radio, at least until I start getting hoarse. Fortunately, I'm not getting hoarse today, at least so far. Okay, let's go back to some questions and comments from and around the state of California. Here's one out of San Jose, um, my town. So let's see what these people want to know. Person says... I'm planning a revocable living trust here in California, and I have a question about funding. Now, funding is the legal terminology for actually retitling assets into trust ownership. 
person said, I've been told that a so-called magic wand provision is all that's needed for most. Is that actually true? <clears throat> a magic wand provision is a provision in the trust that basically says, I hereby transfer all of my interests into my trust of the following categories of property, financial accounts, brokerage accounts, um, uh, real estate now or acquired in the future, um, personal property, automobiles, boats, planes, so on and so on. So basically you wave the magic wand and everything is magically in the trust ownership. The answer as to whether or not that's all that's needed is actually a little more complicated. If you have some loose assets that are outside of the trust when you die, and the collective value of those assets is less than a prescribed amount, then a magic wand would be sufficient to get those turned over to your trust using an affidavit of small estate value. Uh, If, on the other hand, it includes real estate or substantial financial accounts like banks, checking or savings accounts or brokerage accounts, something like that, a magic wand would only give some basis for going to court and having a court actually sign over those assets into your trust after you've died using a Hegstat petition. If you've been listening for any amount of time, you've heard me talk about Hegstat petitions in the past. At any given time, I probably have two or three of them uh, processing their way through the court system. And uh, so I do a lot of Hegstat petitions, and a magic wand provision could be used as the basis for demonstrating to a judge your intention that those categories of assets that you owned when you died were intended to be owned by your trust so that you don't have to go through the whole probate process. That being said, the magic wand provision is not going to work for your successor trustee going to a Wells Fargo bank or a Charles Schwab and say, hey, look, I know this account is in my mom's name, but here's this magic wand provision in her trust that says this account and others like it are actually in her trust. What they will say is not good enough for us because our records say it's in your mom's name. We need some kind of court order declaring that it's going into her trust, whether that's through a probate proceeding or through a Hegstat petition. So it really is it is a good start to have a magic wand provision and have a general assignment of assets into the trust, which is more comprehensive than a magic wand provision. But it's not going to be sufficient if you're trying to get those assets into the trust working directly with a financial institution. They're not going to look at that and say, oh, well, we're satisfied that it's in the trust. They're going to need more documentation than just a magic wand provision in your living trust. That being said, uh, I typically use magic wand provisions as one of the proofs of intent of the creator of the trust that their property be in the trust. I also have a schedule of assets that lists the the assets intended to be in the trust. I do a general assignment of assets of various categories into the trust. In other words, I try to have it covered at least three or four different ways uh, showing the intent. Any one 
of which would be sufficient for a court to declare it's actually in the trust. I have found that more different declarations that it's in the trust is better than just one. Um, One is all that's necessary, but the more the merrier. That's kind of how um, I take it when I do my planning as an estate planning attorney. Okay, out of San Francisco, California, someone said, can two deeds for the same property be combined into one deed for the same property? So the person says, I have an AB trust for one property. What that tells me is that a parent died, the property was, the asset was split, the property was split between a survivor's trust and a bypass trust, which was irrevocable and contained the share of the first parent to die. Now, apparently the second parent has died. Do I need two deeds, one for each trust for the same property to transfer ownership? Uh, This is an inheritance. The parents are deceased. The children will each have equal shares of the property when the interests from the A and the B trust are combined. Can it be combined into one deed? Oh, yeah. Uh, I would commonly do it that way. I would have John Jones... Uh, trustee of the Jones Family Trust, uh, Jones Family Bypass Trust, as to a 50% interest, and John Jones, trustee of the Jones Family uh, Survivors Trust, that's the A Trust, as to a 50% interest, hereby transfers to John Jones and Mary Jones in equal shares um, the property. That would be a fairly common thing to do um, as part of trust administration. Okay, here a person says, Me and my sister were left my mother's home. I live here with my kids, and my sister lives in a different state. If something happens to me, I want to make sure my kids can continue to live in the home without my sister kicking them out. Or if our partition action suit comes up, my kids would get my share of the profits. Okay, pretty straightforward. Set up a revoca living trust with your half of the property in it, saying that it's being left to or for the benefit of your children. How that's done is part of the planning process. And then if the sister does not want to be a co-owner with your children in the future and files a partition action, which is an action to force the sale of the property and divide the proceeds between the owners, then that means your kids would get their share, meaning your share of the profits, and uh, hopefully it's in trust for them if you've done proper planning, and then your sister would get the other half. So that's the way to protect your children is do estate planning. It's an amazing how often that's the solution, which is to do estate planning. Okay, we're coming up on the mid-show break. Uh, When we come back, there'll be more Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, uh, broadcasting from the COVID Rebound Studio in San Jose, California. And we'll talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back to attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio in the COVID rebound studio here in San Jose, where I am still battling COVID 
after almost two weeks. Um, I can tell you out there, if you've had it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't had it yet, you're probably going to get it at some point. Um, It's not a lot of fun. It's kind of annoying. And uh, it's depressing at the same time. I mean, I'm I'm trying to keep myself cheered up in the evenings by binge-watching binge watching shows. And uh, I'm catching up on a lot of shows that I wouldn't normally watch, but it's a way to pass the time. Other than that, it's, you know, when I finish getting my work done for the day, drafting done or whatever I'm doing, then there's not much else to do but read or, or, or watch um, Netflix or Prime Video or something like that. Kind of annoying. I, I miss being able to watch shows with my family. Uh, I miss being able to see my family and talk with them. I miss my cats, who are always a lot of fun. And I'm sure uh, when I go back, I hope they haven't forgotten who I am. I mean, that's... Heck, I hope my daughters haven't forgotten who I am when I'm finally able to go back home. And hopefully I'll be able to go back home in another week or so once I've weathered this. But um, I'm prepared to to stay where I'm at, shelter in place for the longer haul if it's necessary to keep my family well. And uh, I'm fortunate that I do have a place I can do that, even though it's not really ideal. Um, I can actually... Uh, shelter in place where I'm at and get by okay. All right. Out of Los Angeles, California, someone asked, can I claim California Proposition 58 if my mother died in 2014? Now, Proposition 58, which, by the way, was basically repealed by Proposition 19 that went into effect last year. I'm sure if the voters understood Proposition 19... Uh, all of the legal ramifications of Proposition 19, they would not have voted for it in the first place because it basically kneecapped Propositions 58 and 193, which dealt with transfers from parents to children or in some cases from grandparents to grandchildren and having exclusions from reassessment of the property taxes. In this case, person said, my mother left me her home in a trust And that was, I guess, in 2014. Will the home be reassessed now with Proposition 19 in effect? What's the statute of limitations on changing title to me without reassessment? I've lived in the house since 2014, paid property taxes. Will my property taxes increase as of 2021 since the property is now much more valuable than when purchased in 1990? Well... If mom died in 2014, that predates the effective date of Proposition 19, which means that Proposition 58 does apply to that transfer. This person should uh, file the necessary Proposition 58 form, um, do the paperwork to actually transfer the title, um, Show And there's probably going to be an affidavit of death of trustee if the mom owned her home in the trust and is still on the title. You want to clear the title into your name as trustee of the trust and then transfer it out of your mom's trust. It shouldn't have been sitting in there for the last eight years. I'll just tell you that. 
the property taxes should not go up because it is a Proposition 58 transfer. It qualifies for the exclusion from reassessment if it's the home, and it doesn't matter what the value of the home was under Proposition 58. Um, So the assessment should not change at all, but you need to take care of that. And then you probably want to take that property and put it into your own trust so you can make sure that at least it can be passed on without probate happening when you pass away. And again, what are we talking about here? Estate planning. All right. So that's estate planning. All right. Here we go. Can a reassessment be avoided now until it transfers to the beneficiary when I die or move out? What am I required to file? This is out of Hemet, California. It says, my mom passed away. She had a living trust that leaves me a life estate in her home. I'm also the trustee and a quadriplegic. Okay, well, this is probably going to qualify for one of the very specific uh, exclusion exceptions for I'm assuming that this person's saying that mom just passed away, meaning passed away more recently under Proposition 19. If the child is a quadriplegic, they may very well qualify for an exclusion from reassessment because they are a disabled person, which is actually an exception to the re exclusion law. Um, there should be a Prop 19, if if it was recently, there should be a Prop 19 form uh, and a change of ownership report that specifically identifies that the person is disabled. Uh, the forms are available to, to fill out for that purpose. I would suggest this person consult with an estate planning attorney down there in uh, in San Diego County, because I think that's, is that where Hemet is? Oh, no. Now I've lost it. Maybe Hemet's actually more out in one of the valleys. Anyway, consult with an attorney out in the county where you live, an estate planning attorney, to make sure that it's reported properly to the assessor there so that you can avoid uh, reassessment under Proposition 19. Okay, out of Bellflower, California. What is the absolute best way to protect my assets in the event of a divorce in California. Okay, person says, we have a post-nuptial agreement, that means a marital agreement made between spouses, entered into after the marriage, says, I have my home, which I bought prior to the marriage, in a revocable trust. What else can I do to protect my other assets? Would it be a good idea to consider it an irrevocable trust? Not really. Uh, the key is the postnuptial agreement should govern everything to do with the property that you own and the property that your spouse owns, and that's probably the the greatest protection you have in the event of a divorce. Uh, that and also keeping your assets separate from the marriage in your own living trust. It sounds like this person has done most of the things that really should be done to protect their assets in the event of a dissolution or uh, divorce. Okay, out of Eureka, California. Here's the situation. Grandma did a quitclaim deed of a structure and some land to her son before she died. 
Now, a quick claim deed is a special kind of deed that says, I hereby um, quit claim uh, remiss and assign all of my right title and interest in this property to this person. A quit claim uh, says, may say, I don't really know what my interest is, but whatever my interest is goes to this person. Before her death, said she made a last will leaving my residuary estate to the executor named in the will, who also was the agent named under a durable power of attorney for financial management. The son believes that the property belongs to him. Who is in the legal right? Is it part of the residuary estate or does the son own the property? The son owns the property. If before she died, she quit claimed the property, the real estate, to her son, he owns it now. Period. End of statement. It's not subject to her residuary estate in any way, shape, or form because at her death, <clears throat> she didn't own the property anymore. So hopefully that's pretty straightforward, right? Straightforward one right there. Okay. Out of Los Angeles, California. Kind of a, an interesting question, maybe kind of a common question that people wonder about. Says, in the state of California, can you add a beneficiary of your trust as someone with signing authority on a trust account uh, for a bank account? The short answer is, if you grant someone a power of attorney to be a, have signing authority on a trust account, that's a special kind of power of attorney. That's not going to be a general power of attorney that says this person is on my account with signing authority. The bank might require such a person to actually be a co-trustee on the trust to have signing authority. That's going to be what the bank decides. But it is possible legally in California to create a power of attorney as trustee granting authority to someone to sign on behalf of you on an account owned by the trust acting as your agent or attorney in fact. It would not be common, but it's something that can be done. But again, depending on what bank you're dealing with, your mileage may vary. So just don't just assume that that can be done and it's a done deal because banks are different and sometimes they may not actually permit that and, uh, and they will say, no, we're not going to allow you to do that. And then you're kind of stuck. You may have to do something different to actually have someone have that assigning authority on that account owned by your trust. Okay, we're coming up on the third break of the show today. When we come back, I'll wrap up the show with a few more questions and comments from around this great state of California. And then we'll call it a day as we head into this Labor Day weekend. Um, I actually had plans for tomorrow to go to a hobby convention where I was actually going to run games, but I had to cancel that because of COVID, and I'm a little bummed out about that, but life goes on. Talk with you after the final break today. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back to the final segment of the show today. Broadcasting from the COVID Rebound Studio in San Jose, California. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. 
host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And I have a few more situations from around the state of California to cover in this last segment. And then we'll call it a day as we go into the Labor Day weekend. Out of San Bernardino, California, someone asked, if an exemption was improperly claimed on a deed, will that change the nature of the property transfer? For example, if a property was transferred by quick claim deed into an irrevocable trust, but the the documentary transfer tax exemption under Revenue and Taxation Code 11930 was mistakenly claimed for a transfer into a revocable trust, will that change the status of the property? Will it be considered in an revocable trust, not an irrevocable trust? Well, first of all, that's a form that you file that that claims that there's an exclusion from documentary transfer tax because of the transfer. It, it's very possible that transfer tax should have been paid on this transfer if it was a transfer into an irrevocable trust. It doesn't change the nature of the trust or the transfer because the trust that received the property is revocable or irrevocable by its own terms. But it may mean that you should really go back, file a new form, uh, or go back to the assessor to, to or to the recorder to clarify that the wrong that the wrong exemption was included, and there may actually be no exemption from documentary transfer tax, which should then be paid. You probably don't want to run into the situation where they do an audit and then they find out that an exemption was claimed that did not apply, and therefore um, technically there may have been uh, unintentional fraud on the recorder and the assessor. So that's probably what I would do. I would contact the assessor likely and tell them, oh, we just realized this has the wrong thing. Find out what the assessor would like you to do. If they'd like something um, something supplementally filed, um, <clears throat> something along those lines. Because believe it or not, mistakes do get made when filing paperwork, especially complex paperwork, with recorder's offices and assessors. Um, people think that it's really, really easy to do, and you know what? It often is not very easy to do at all. So I would suggest these people should probably go and talk to the recorder, talk to the assessor, wherever they happen to be, and find out uh, what, if anything, they really need to do to take care of that. Okay, from Downey, California. How do I get a copy of my mother's living trust? My brother has my mother's living trust who passed several years ago, but he never gave me or my siblings a copy. Well, assuming that the brother is a successor trustee, he is actually in violation of the trust law by not providing a copy to uh, all of the beneficiaries of the trust or the direct natural heirs of the mother, um, I would immediately make a demand that he provide a copy of the trust, and failing that, uh, you may have to actually go to court to compel him to produce a copy of the trust, 
not giving people a copy of the trust after several years suggests to me that the brother is doing something fast and loose, uh, fast and loose, and and uh, and maybe actually trying to uh, cheat in some way. And that's what I'd be concerned about when someone actually decides they're not going to provide copies of legal documents to the family members who are legally entitled to them in this case. Okay, how can I amend my grandmother's trust? This is out of Pittsburgh, California. It says, my grandma died two years ago. She made my great cousin trustee of her living trust. She's done nothing with the trust and says she wants nothing to do with it. I'm now the sole beneficiary of it. My cousin won't sign any papers stating she stepped down, so now everything is limbo. I need to know how to get my inheritance. Well, if she refuses to step down formally, then you may, unfortunately, you may have to go to court to ask that she be removed as the trustee and that maybe you be appointed as the trustee of your grandmother's trust because you are the only beneficiary. Um, depending on what the trust says, you might actually already be the successor trustee. Um, if she just filed saying she declined to serve, you could take over right away. But unfortunately, in a case like this, you may be forced to go to court to have this person removed so that you can actually take over and handle your inheritance. Well, we have about a minute to go today, and uh, I want to say I'm glad to be uh, back on the air, even though I am not well right now. But I hope to be getting better and better in the upcoming days and be even healthier and stronger next Friday when we come back for another installment of Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman, hoping to not be broadcasting from the COVID Rebound studio next Friday. And uh, have a great Labor Day weekend. Uh, Don't overeat. Don't overindulge. And take care of you and your family. Goodbye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.